Let's read from uh, Mark's Gospel now, uh, page 1009 in the Bibles. I'll be reading digitally. Um, so it's uh, chapter 6, verse 30, and then for the next 15 verses. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By the time it was late in the day, uh, sorry, by this time it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked, go and see. When they find out, they said, five and two fish. And then Jesus told them to make all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up twelve baskets full of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was five thousand. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you very much, Martin. Good morning, Emmanuel. It's lovely uh, for Ruth and me to be back here on a Sunday morning. Um, it's a great experience and a blessing to be a trainee vicar at, uh, at the other place um, these last two and a half years. But Emmanuel is very much our spiritual home, and we always feel so welcome here. So thank you, uh, Ed, for uh, inviting us. In case you're wondering, the curacy is going reasonably well. Um, in fact, it's coming to an end soon, hopefully in a good way. Um, and I've only dropped a few clangers so far. One was presiding at the Lord's table and wondering why everyone in church was looking baffled and whispering to each other. And that's because I was praying a Eucharistic prayer that was completely different from the ones that they had on their sheets. But my biggest gaffe was when I was doing a wedding rehearsal one Friday evening with a very nervous couple, and they wanted to rehearse their vows, which I duly did. And one of the vergers who was there came up to me afterwards and said, you realise that technically you've just married them? <laughs> Oops. Ed, I'd be very grateful if you didn't tell Edward that. 
But I should be thankful, I suppose, that I haven't yet done that Rowan Atkinson thing and four weddings and asked the groom if he takes the bride to be his awful wedded wife <laughs> or prayed a blessing in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Goat. But this is how we learn, isn't it? And I hope that we're going to be learning some new things about this great passage from Mark's Gospel this morning about the feeding of the 5,000. But before we dive in, let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending Jesus, the bread of life, who feeds and sustains us. As we look at this passage from Mark's Gospel, and as we prepare to gather around the Lord's table, help us to gain a new perspective on these familiar verses, that we might know Jesus better. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. So we come... Uh, to this um, amazing passage, one of the best known of Jesus' miracles, the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, do please uh, turn back to it, that passage in your pew Bibles, um, page 1009. It's a famous miracle, of course it is. It's also, as we've heard, um, uh, one of the, the only miracle that appears, apart from the resurrection, that appears uh, in all four Gospels. But some people have questioned whether this event even happened. How could you possibly feed 5,000 people with just a few loaves and fishes, they ask? There was a popular theory at one time that once the small boy had produced his five small loaves and his two small fishes, everyone remembered that they too had brought their sandwiches with them. And the whole thing became one big bring-and-share lunch. As one comedian has suggested, people saw, this is an alternative uh, uh, explanation, people saw that there was only bread and fish on the takeaway menu and they all decided, thanks, but I'll wait till I get home. But this is all missing the point. Folks, it was a miracle. That is the point. And the fact that it's recorded in all four Gospels shows that it was accepted by the disciples as a real historical event. It really happened. And in fact, this miracle is even greater than that reported in the gospel, if you read between the lines. Did you see in verse 44 that the multitude was, this is the, almost the last verse of the passage, the multitude was 5,000 men. Do you see that? In Matthew's account of the same miracle, chapter 14, we learn that this was not including the women and the children who were also there. So the number fed was probably somewhere between 15 and 20,000 fed with five loaves and two small fishes. This was the biggest crowd that Jesus had ever taught. And so it's actually one of his most spectacular miracles, seen by many as the pinnacle of his public ministry. And in fact, it was so amazing that we learn in John's account of this same miracle that the crowd were awestruck by what had happened. John 6 and verse 14, the people cried, surely this is the prophet who is come into the world. The crowd even wanted to come and make him king by force. We read that in John chapter 6. So this is a significant miracle in the Gospels. But what does it actually mean? What does it mean to us today? What truths are we to learn from the feeding of the 5,000? Well, I believe this miracle says something profound about the world, about us as Jesus' followers, and ultimately and most importantly about Jesus himself. The world, us, and Jesus. First, the world. Did you just notice verse 34? When Jesus uh, landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them 
because they were like sheep without a shepherd, so he began teaching them many things. Sheep without a shepherd. I'm sorry to say, and uh, Ed's already touched on this, that that's how many of us feel after last week's vote in uh, General Synod, where a majority of bishops, 23 in all, including our own here in Oxford, who is leading the charge, voted for rapid moves towards the blessing of same-sex couples in church. Some of you know I'm a member of General Synod. Do come and talk to me afterwards if you'd like to. But this is, this is despite such a move clearly being a departure from the historic doctrine of the church. In fact, none of the bishops here in this diocese of Oxford seems to believe any more in the church's doctrine of marriage. The shepherds are going AWOL and the sheep are being abandoned. But here's the thing, sheep are valuable. They're mentioned over 500 times in the Bible, more than any other animal. Sheep were like currency in biblical Palestine, but sheep need a shepherd to guide them, to look after them, to steer them in the right direction. Now, of course, the Old Testament is full of bad shepherds, leaders, kings who looked after themselves rather than their flocks. And God rebukes them. Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 2 to 3. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. The New Testament also has its share of bad shepherds. It's no coincidence that in both Mark and Matthew's Gospel, the story of the feeding of the 5,000 comes straight after the story of King Herod and the beheading of John the Baptist. Herod was a king, in theory a shepherd of his people, but he was a bad shepherd. Can we see bad shepherds in our world today? But the Old Testament also promised a good shepherd. A good shepherd who would take care of the sheep. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 10 to 11. The sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. He tends the flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Yes, sheep are valuable, but they desperately need a shepherd to care for them. Without a shepherd, they just drift and they get lost or risk toppling over a cliff. Leaving aside that vote in General Synod that we've talked about, does this not describe the world out there? Every single person out there is made in God's image, is valuable to God, fearfully and wonderfully made, as the psalmist puts it. But they're also drifting. They're directionless, self-absorbed, leaderless, like sheep without a shepherd. Who is going to point them to the true shepherd? The multitudes in this passage are like the multitudes out there. So that's what I think this passage says about the world. Second, what does this miracle, this passage, tell us about us? Well, I suspect that, that many of us will identify with the disciples. I, I certainly do. Perhaps we've had that first flush of enthusiasm as Christians 
when we came to faith, a keenness to tell others about Jesus. But then a kind of fatigue sets in. We're tired. We're worn out. We're hungry. We're preoccupied. We're thinking we just don't have the resources. I need a break. We look at all those people out there, the sheep without a shepherd, and often our natural instinct, like the disciples, is to send them away. Do you see that, verse 36? Send the people away. It's all too much. But we need to model our response on Jesus's. Just look at verse 34 again. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. I just love the Greek word for compassion used here. Splag knitsamai. Splag knitsamai. I'll test you on it afterwards. It literally means to be moved to one's bowels. This is literally gut-wrenching compassion from Jesus. Are we too moved to our very intestines by the lost sheep out there? And if we are, what can we do about it? Well, here's the thing. God wants to use us. Just look at verse 37. He answered them, you give them something to eat. It's a key verse in this passage. Jesus says, you give them something to eat. Now, there isn't much in this passage about the logistics of this miracle, about how it worked in practice. But the one thing we do know is that Jesus didn't do it by himself. He could have done. I mean, he's God. He could have done a divine deliveroo order. He could have been a just eat Jesus. But instead, he uses his disciples to feed the people. Flawed human beings like you and me. Disciples who, even after seeing this miracle, still didn't quite get who Jesus was. Later on in this chapter, after Jesus walks on water, Mark writes, verses 51 and 52, they, the disciples, they were completely amazed for they'd not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. Guys, they didn't understand about the loaves? I mean, how dozy can you get? We have another feeding of the multitude, this time 4,000 in Mark chapter 8, different miracle, different place, and still the disciples didn't quite get it. Chapter 8 and verse 4, where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them, the disciples ask. I mean, really, have you disciples really forgotten what Jesus did back in chapter 6? Perhaps we too struggle to understand. Perhaps we too have doubts. Perhaps our hearts have moments of hardness. But if we follow Jesus as I hope many of us here in Emmanuel this morning do, then we have a job to do. And he will equip us by his Holy Spirit. Jesus invites us to feed his people, to rescue the lost sheep. So here's your question for coffee time. I know that Ed likes a question for coffee time after the service. What is God calling me to do, working with Jesus and in the power of his Holy Spirit to help feed the multitudes of lost sheep out there with the word of God? But thirdly, and most importantly, what has this passage got to say about Jesus? And of course, that's the very point of Mark's gospel in the first place. Go right back to the beginning, Mark chapter 1 and verse 1, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. 
Mark has a single purpose for writing this gospel, which is to tell us who Jesus is. He is the Christ, the Messiah. And we even see it in the punchline to the gospel. Fast forward to chapter 15, Christ is on the cross, and what does the centurion say? Verse 39 of chapter 15, surely this man was the Son of God. This miracle is just so rich with imagery about who Jesus is that it would take another sermon to go through it all. It looks both back to the Hebrew scriptures and forward to Jesus' saving death on the cross. Looking back, well, the Old Testament tells how Moses led the Israelites into the wilderness and relied on God to supply their needs in the desert with manna from heaven. So too, do you see this? Jesus leads his people into a remote place. Verse 35, and he too finds a way to feed them with bread conjured up from nowhere. Jesus is the new Moses. In fact, Jesus is a better Moses because the manna was just enough to feed the Israelites, whereas here, by the Sea of Galilee, there are baskets and baskets of bread and fish left over. The Old Testament also promises a shepherd king who will lead his people, who will satisfy them. David was a prototype, a shepherd who became a king, but he was only a pointer to the true shepherd. So just as Jesus is a better Moses, so too Jesus is a better David. Interesting point. Did you notice verse 39, where the people all sat down on the green grass? Now, green grass, I have to tell you, I've been to Palestine many times, is very rare in that place. It's mostly scorched brown, the ground. Perhaps it was early spring. But why would Mark even mention this little detail? Is it perhaps to echo Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. There is no doubt that to a Jewish audience, this story would have had overwhelmingly messianic implications. So that's looking backwards, but looking forwards. Well, just as Jesus blesses and breaks the bread and feeds the people until they're satisfied, so he will bless and break the bread at the Last Supper. And then his own body will be broken and his blood shed on the cross for our sakes. The very sacrifice we will remember and give thanks for as we come to the Lord's table a little later. And only acceptance of Jesus and the cross by faith will truly satisfy. It's no coincidence that after the story, shortly after the story of the loaves and the fishes in John's gospel, Jesus utters these famous words. You'll know them well. John 6, 35. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So this miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 points backwards to God's provision for his people through Moses, through David, and it points forward to the cross where the body of Jesus was broken for our sake. It tells us so much about the person of Jesus. As I close, I'm reminded of the story of the absent-minded biology professor who was giving a lecture just after lunch. Our special task this afternoon, he told his students, will be to cut up and inspect the inner workings of a frog 
I have a dead frog here in my pocket to be used as a specimen. He reached into his pocket and pulled out a paper bag, shook its contents onto the table, and outrolled a nice-looking ham and cheese sandwich. The professor looked at it, perplexed, scratched his head and muttered, That's funny, I distinctly remember eating my lunch. <laughs> my friends, are we feeding ourselves with the wrong things? Where do we seek nourishment in our lives today? If we seek nourishment in the things of the world, then take it from me, none of them will ever satisfy Career success, number of likes on social media, sexual pleasure, self-realization, traveling the world, whatever it is. Yes, these things may bring short-term contentedness, but as the saying goes, you can't take them with you. John Piper once wrote that the most important sentence in his theology was this. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Jesus is the bread of life. We need to feed on him every day. Not just when we come to the Lord's table and remember his sacrifice on the cross, but every day. Father, give us our daily bread. Because Jesus is the only one who truly satisfies. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you offer as an act of grace your sufficiency for our insufficiency. We thank you for that gut-wrenching compassion which you showed and show for the lost sheep of this world. May we too have that same compassion, even to the very depths of of our bodies. And just as you invited the disciples to feed your people, we give thanks that you have called us to that same task today. May we be faithful to this calling in the power of the Holy Spirit and to the glory of your name. Amen. Amen.